We're rolling. How you doing, bud? You all right? Very good, thanks. How's it going? Not too bad, not too bad. Just get started. Um, it's funny, we were just talking about how different businesses have been affected throughout this crazy time that things, you know, are going through at the moment. And it sounds like you guys are in a good place. So, yeah, how, how's things been throughout this this crazy last, I don't know, one month, two months, however long it's been now? So, yeah, we are obviously really worried, as everyone was, when things start to get a bit more serious, um, what, back in March. Um, and then there was, I think it was middle of March, it just kind of all went a bit mental where we had a massive influx of orders. Um, we did the same as we normally turn over in, mo- in a month, in a week. Um, wow. And it was just this sudden, like, everyone was starting to hear about us, buy from us, which is a great problem for us to have. But it was still like, holy crap, I've got to do a lot more cooking. I need to get up early. I need to be working around the clock to try and fulfill these orders. Um, and we also did the thing of adding the veg boxes along with our meals. Um, so, again, people were like, well, I'm not going to leave my house. So if I can have stuff delivered, um, then I'll do both. That's insane. How cool is that? The yeah. same amount of sales you'll do in a month, you did in a week. Yeah, it was like, it was literally mental. Like every time we'd refresh our email, it was like another few orders coming in. We're like, what is happening? Uh, uh, do you know what? I've had that period and it's like, it's quite hard to believe. And like you said, the, the first reaction is to double down as quickly as you can on the time you put in. Have you had to like scale up resources at all? Or have you kept them, you know, the same as much as you physically can to kind of get the benefit from it? Or have you had to like, oh God, how do we actually deal with this? Um because of the, obviously the restrictions it's not like i could get in extra help um okay. so i didn't quite have that luxury so one thing i was doing was just getting up earlier like finishing later so i was actually getting up at six most days getting in the kitchen half six seven and then staying there till about the same about half six seven in the evening and then oh, we get home and then along with Sharin, my wife we would do all the admin side so sort the veg order for the next day do all the admin side of printing labels and all this side of stuff so you yeah it became like a day in day out breathing the whole operation but yeah it's amazing you look remarkably fresh for a man who's been doing 12 <laughs> to 14 hour days i'm very jealous like i never look that fresh if i put a shift in like that <laughs> well i mean that, that probably ties into like one of the first questions i actually had from you which is like when did you decide to become or go vegan, whatever the phrasing is? Why? What do you believe the macro benefits are? Like, how did this happen? Because I remember, obviously, we went to the same college. You were very into, from what I remember, weights, free running, if I'm correct, yeah. as well, and a lot of different types of fitness, which generally has like a diet very much attached to like meat and protein and everything else. Like, how did this journey happen for you? So yeah, like the, the free running side, like when I was in college, I was very much into sort of my free running prime. I was doing it all the time. That was my main sort of fitness along with a bit of CrossFit and weightlifting, as you said, and everything was high protein. Everything was like, I need to make sure I'm getting 180, 200 grams of protein a day. Um, and alongside the free running, because I enjoyed food, I was doing a food blog. Um, mm. So I started Macro Mitch. Everything was calorie oh, controlled. Yeah. I um, remember that. Yeah. Yeah. It, it did pretty well. Like I... I ended up over the years, I ended up sort of um, having a cooking slot on the Body Power Kitchen. Um, and then one year I ended, I think it was 2015, I actually hosted the Body Power um, sort of Health Eating Kitchen. Oh, wow. um, so I did kind of have a really good network around sort of the blog and working with brands like Muscle Food or Optimum Nutrition or My Protein. I was kind of doing recipe videos and stuff for them. Um, mm. And yeah, like at the time, because I was 
doing that, doing free running. Um, Shirin with her singing. Um, we actually done a tour in America. We done a tour in Asia. All self managed and arranged by ourselves. Um, so we had all these amazing experiences, but it was very all over the place, and we didn't have a base. Like we didn't have a house. We didn't have a mortgage. We had nothing to kind of pin us. Yeah. And we kind of went. We probably should settle down at one stage. Um, so we were looking for jobs and I found a part-time job in a local cafe, which I purely went because they did gluten-free cakes. Um, being gluten-free, I was like, cool, they're really nice. Um, yeah. Ended up, the cafe was vegetarian going towards being vegan. Um, so the same summer, Shirin decided she wanted to go vegan. Um, it's the best story because it was her epiphany in one of the meccas of meat, um, Kansas City Barbecue. We were literally yeah. in there and she went, can't do it anymore. And, really? Uh, just something triggered like she'd seen all obviously all the videos all this stuff and it was the the final thing for her was she saw a photo on the wall of a sad looking pig it was just like one of the illustrations where it's like this is the pork this is where we get bacon from this is the rind whatever uh, and then she looked around saw people eating and went i can't do it um so like she was wow. already going vegan um so we were cooking vegan food at home and then as the cafe was going vegan um in january 2016 we rebranded to become offbeat and that's when I went, well, I might as well do Veganuary. It's kind of gaining traction as a campaign. Yeah. Um, I really believe it's going to be sort of beneficial. And I was obviously really worried about sort of my protein, my training, all this stuff. Mm. And in that month period, I was recovering faster. I was feeling good. I wasn't sort of super dependent on coffee or energy drinks or supplements, whatever it was. I was like, actually, I'm feeling pretty good from this. Yeah. So I just kept it going. Really? God. So basically, it was not not accidental but like it's not like you had a grand plan so to speak yeah. thoroughly researched it up front you know understood every aspect of it you know you just kind of went with the flow to a certain extent yeah definitely like I, I literally was um messaging some of my friends who I was into with the whole free running side and my diet and the blog everything was because I was doing things like intermittent fasting and calorie yeah. counting and all this yeah I was actually getting a really unhealthy eating habit around that where I was really under eating in the week and massively binging on the weekend. It was yeah. just like this, this whole rebound because I was like, well, it fits my macros. I'm obviously looking good. I'm feeling good. Um, but I really wasn't. I was like really dependent on sort of energy supplements to train with. And then I'd kind of be like, oh no, that's just normal. Um, whereas as soon as I kind of did this month, I was working in the cafe. I couldn't be counting my calories because you're tasting a bit of this, eating a bit of that. Yeah. Um, and suddenly I kind of changed that perspective and was like, what am I doing? Like, maybe I need to eat more. And um, in the first month I went vegan, I lost nearly a stone because I just wasn't eating enough. Oh, really? So, yeah, it was mad. So I just, it made, it completely like reversed my whole way towards eating and this unhealthy pattern that I got myself into and suddenly went, actually, protein is not the be all and end all. Actually eating a whole varied diet, a colorful diet, like whole foods, natural foods, like, all the stuff I enjoyed, even when I was eating meat, I'd love a massive salad. I'd just put chicken or tuna or something in it. Yeah. But now I was like, well, I don't really need that. I can have alternatives or like, I don't really miss it. Yeah. Now you, now you've done it. Do you, did you go and research the benefits? Did you look at, cause some people that I've spoken to like on all plant diets, when they know that's not necessarily exactly the same, but like there's health, there's longevity, there's health, there's all these other like potential aspects to do it. There's like not age reduction, but you know what I mean? There's potential life extending yeah. stuff about it. Like, did you go into a, like an, or have you ever gone into an in-depth like research of what the benefits are now you're in? Or have you just been like, I'm just going to keep going with it because you've yeah, done it for business, you know? You almost, uh, you almost like 
feel like you have to because the first thing people are going to ask are where do you get your protein from where do you get yeah. this from how like how's your diet like no matter what you're doing as soon as you say vegan people are like oh but you're probably not eating enough or not doing the right stuff so yeah. you could have any other diet it's just vegan is there must be something protein. wrong yeah <laughs> so um yeah i was obviously like researching around like, i enjoyed that i did like a sports degree at university and really enjoyed the researching and learning side um mm. and there was actually a really good um book called proteinaholic um which is a fantastic read it's um, a guy who basically focused on all the blue zones, looked at their diets, looked at the people with the sort of the longest health, um, least sort of disease or like cardiovascular issues and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. And the commonalities between all of them, they little or no animal protein at all, um, yeah. other than say the Inuits, which was like a lot of like seal blubber or something, which is just very specific to them. Um, so wouldn't really recommend that. Yeah. But, um, yeah. A lot of grains, a lot of pulses, beans, lentils, um, whole foods, which, again, really simple. And if they had meat, they would eat all the meat. They would eat the organ, this stuff, like everything to do with it, which in the Western diet is very much the lean meats, which have zero fat and all this stuff. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was really interesting understanding that and seeing he was a, a cardiovascular um, surgeon where he was doing like the gastric bands. And yeah. rather than just trying to clip a band on people, he was like, look, do a plant-based diet. He's like, by doing this, you're going to save my, like you're going to save your own money. You're losing me money, but yeah. if it's going to improve your life, like I'd rather you do this. God, that's crazy. So it's really fascinating read. And again, it made me go, actually, yeah, like protein is obviously important. You do need protein, um, yeah. but it is in most stuff you'll be eating. And um, like in an average balanced diet, if you're eating enough calories, you should be getting enough protein. Yeah, no, that makes sense. It's like. Yeah, I mean, I think there's enough food sources out there and there's enough information to find the right nutrients, the right ingredients, whatever it may be, to have a healthy diet. I think I think probably from the time you did it up until even now, or certainly like the last year, veganism, vegan restaurants, the whole concept has become significantly more mainstream, more understood. You know, when restaurants have to adapt, like it becomes more of a normal thing, I suppose. But I reckon back in 2016, it was probably very much like you said, like, well, you're going vegan or you are vegan. What does that mean? What's the, what, like, why, like you said, why are you getting enough nutrients? Have you found that over the years that it's become more of a, I don't know, part of normal life, so to speak, just in society? Yeah. Definitely. Like at the time, so 2016, we were making our own almond milk because some of the ones on the market just weren't that great. So we would make fresh almond milk to make for the coffees and teas yeah um, oat milk wasn't really a thing like yeah. it only was kind of coming around and like the oat milk brands but like now pretty much any random coffee shop will serve either oatly barista or minor figures or one of these brands which is a an oat barista based blend 100%. Um, and it's just become so much more normal so yeah like at the time we we initially when we went vegan in 2016 as a company we said like right we're not gonna um we'll, we'll keep casual because we don't want to lose customers and then after about two, three months, we went, none of us drink cow's milk. Why are we buying it? We don't agree with this industry. Like we don't agree with this product. Like let's just not. Yeah. So we are being, the restaurant was based in an old antiques mill. So you kind of get your standard kind of old people that will come in, expect a, a typical tea room and they walk into a vegan cafe only serving dairy-free milk. So it definitely turned some heads, but yes. we grew the best reputation in the kind of local area um, uh, to the point where, Pete, who is the actual owner of Offbeat, opened a second one over Southampton Way. Um, wow. So he had two running. Um, it's now just focused in the Southampton one because it's a much bigger, nicer venue. Um, yeah. But 
it proved the concept and people absolutely loved what we were doing. That's amazing. That is amazing. Do you, do you think that this is still like the tip of the iceberg on that basis where we're talking about 2016 to 2020, that's a four year period, you know, in an industry that's potentially got this, well, it was going through this massive growth phase anyway, but like, do you, do you think we're at the, like one of the earliest stages of its development, if you like, for more and more people to understand and, and potentially adopt like plant-based vegan or, or like diets in that respect, like before coronavirus, obviously, but you know, dominated the news, there was a lot of, lot of news content and media around having like, you know, meat-free Mondays and all these other things. Do, do you think this is like, just like I said, like the tip of the iceberg, it's no way near, it's just, there's a long way to go by the sounds of things. Yeah, definitely. Like we, um, obviously we've started Mitch's Kitchen and what we do now, we very much did the research. We're looking, is this a fad? Is it a trend? Mm. And everything in the growth, the figures, product launches, everything was just showing a massive peak going towards plant-based, vegan, dairy-free. Um, this whole kind of, during coronavirus, I think it's um, things like Beyond Meat and the meat-free alternatives. They've all seen like a huge rise in their sales where people either can't get hold of meat and they're trying it or they're just going, actually, I'm eating too much stuff. Maybe I should try these alternatives. And they're, they're proving actually they are tasty. They are slightly better nutritionally or they can be. Um, and it's allowing people to experience that. So yeah, I think it's, it's very much here to stay. It's not going to be a fad. People kind of saw kind of veganism 30 years ago. It was like, Oh, what, who's that strange hippie wearing the tie dye with long hair doesn't wash all that. Like, yep documentaries like game changers have come in and really opened people's eyes um and you're just hearing more and more athletes singers it's in the mainstream almost every day you'll see you'll hear or see someone doing something that talks vegan or plant-based so yeah i think now is definitely a huge time where it's just showing that it's on this kind of growth spurt massively what um what made you take that concept into a business like what made you want to take the leap of faith because a lot of people do, that's where their, their businesses tend to start from a passion point and then they turn into potential business and then they become an actual business. Like, what was your, what was your journey? What was your steps into turning it into Mitch's Kitchen? So it's, it's quite an interesting one because obviously I, I did a sports degree at university. Free running was kind of my bread and butter. It's what I love doing. I was performing, coaching. I did a sports development degree, wanting to actually help develop the sport and grow that. And then the food side was really sort of, a second passion that kind of started taking off more and more. So they were kind of both going side by side, really nice. Yeah. And then when I started working in the cafe, I was free running a bit less. I was really into the food side. When I went vegan, I got more creative with the food and was absolutely loving it. So yeah. I had a part-time job there. Then it came a full-time job. And then after a year, I ended up managing the one in Wickham. So yeah. I kind of quickly progressed because I was so passionate. Me and Pete, we had great ideas. We bounced off each other really well. And we could just see how the business was growing and growing. Mm. Um, to the point that where I was at the front speaking to the customers getting the interaction everyone thought it was my business um, mm. to the, like very much to Pete's annoyance it came like an ongoing joke it's like oh yeah my business um, <laughs> and it, in the end it kind of got to a stage I was doing cooking lessons for a year um, and then the structure around the cooking lessons changed where Pete wanted to make it fairer for the other chefs and so that it could kind of be putting more money back into the business and it just basically meant that it took away a good second income for me. And you were, do, you were doing day, those, you were doing those privately, basically. It wasn't like, part yeah, of business. Well, yeah, it was basically, I was paying expenses or time or for whatever for the hire, but it wasn't really, it wasn't an offbeat cooking lesson. It was Mitch's cooking lesson. At Got it. So I kind of built up that and then it stopped. So I ended up doing 
some private lessons um, in some sort of yeah people's homes doing some really nice things um, and around that time as well I had friends and family like I think it was in a one-week period I had four different people reach out to me and say hey is that your business if you're ever interested in doing your own thing like I can help or I could do this or I could offer you advice so it's kind of everyone yeah. nudging me um, Shireen's always championed me she's always been like yeah you should be doing something yourself um, and so between us we kind of sat down and went well what can we do are we going to do a cafe are we going to do sort of a veg delivery box like how can we make this work um and then what it came down to was firstly when you look into launching a cafe or restaurant the capex you need is horrendous like you're talking hundreds of thousands um, and that could be for a really terrible location in the middle of nowhere so you want a premium high street brand like it's going to cost you so much money if you haven't got that you can't even dream of that yeah so we scale back and went, right, what's the best way we can do it? How can we get the food to most people? So we started looking into meal delivery, um, seeing what currently existed, um, having a look at like similar competitors or people doing something that we go, well, I like that, but they're not doing this. Um, and then me and Sharina are both vegan and gluten-free. Mm. So there wasn't anything out there which was kind of a complete package for vegan and gluten-free. And then yeah. we decided actually, why don't we go nut-free as well? <laughs> So Why not? we kind of ticked three and one um, primarily because I had one friend whenever he'd come to eat, he was nut-free, vegan and gluten-free. So I'm like, I can do it for him. Like it's always a struggle when we are in the restaurant. So I knew from my own experience that that market exists. And I was yeah. like, if I can make it tasty enough that people who aren't vegan, gluten-free or nut-free don't care, just it's a tasty, healthy meal, mm. then it's a no-brainer. That's so cool. That's how it kind of developed. That's very cool. Um... So I went vegetarian for a period and then went, I've gone on and off to be fair. I did it like a year ago. And what I found was when you cook, cause I'm really into cooking personally, the challenge of making something flavorsome and more enjoyable to eat when you're doing it with just vegetables or whatever, like for some reason it's so much more appealing, like the challenge of cooking something nice. So yeah. kind of do it like, yeah, vegan, gluten-free and nut-free. Like how did you train as a chef? If that makes sense. Cause you've got to, to be, what you're to do what you're doing to be who you are and like make it into a viable business you've got to have the business side but at the same time you've got to have like really good food at the end of the day like how did you get into the chef piece and where did your passion for food i guess like how did that unfold and how is it does it still unfold like do you still experiment and stuff yeah like my my passion for food definitely stems back to when i was like 14 15 um this is when i started free running so i used to be into sport but i was quite overweight as a kid um, I used to sort of very much love snacking, like chocolates, crisps, fizzy drink, the usual. But I was like big obese as a like during the school years. Really? So, yeah, I've got great before and after photos. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> so yeah, cool. when I first sort of I saw free running on the telly and went, that's what I wanted to do. And I knew that the way I was, I wasn't strong enough. I was really unfit. Um, I was like, I'm going to have to eat better. So I changed my diet then. Started kind of looking at what I was eating. Just starting very simple cutting out rubbish eating more stuff cooking more for myself when i was 15 or whatever yeah. i think within three months i lost two stone had this newfound confidence i think my braces came off at the same time um and i was learning oh, to do like backflips and stuff so i was like i'm the man <laughs> I was like, it felt really good so mm. that's always stayed with me like since that early age saying eat right perform right feel good like get that kind of feedback loop going yeah um, I've just always kind of had that passion for food. So over the years, I've obviously experimented. Like we love traveling. We've gone 
all over the world, tried different cuisines and gone, that's amazing. That's really simple. It's a noodle dish, but it's flavored so perfectly. Yeah. So you've taken all that inspiration. And with my blog, when I was calorie counting, the big thing for me was trying to make things taste good, but not being high in fat or being high in protein or being sugar free. So I was really chopping, changing, just trial and error going, that's horrendous. That's amazing. Um, and it was a lot of trial and error. So yeah. the good thing is when I started out offbeat, like Pete was a trained chef. Uh, he had this experience and I would come in with this complete naivety and be like, well, why don't we just do this? And he's like, okay, let's try it. Try it. So I, I was given the freedom and flexibility during my three years there to say, actually, this works really well. Okay, that's a way of doing this. So it was kind of an experimenting whilst being slightly mentored. And between us, we kind of both grew just to actually experiment more. And again, just YouTube, replicating what you see, try new recipes, tweak things, adapt things, take things that you love either which has gluten or that is normally a meat dish and say, how can I make that mm. vegan or gluten-free? So it was just trial and error. Like I've not actually been professionally trained. That's something that as a business owner, being able to say, yes, I'm a vegan chef. It was a lot of imposter syndrome in the early days. Cause yeah. I was like, well, yeah. how do I know? Like I'm not, I'm not a trained chef, but people are buying the products. People like the products. Now I'm like, no, I am like pe people like respect what we're doing. So I just need to own that now. That's one of the, that's really fascinating. I'm glad you answered that in such depth because I think the bit I get, I get the story and the bit I tie into massively is that imposter syndrome thing. Like I get, I got asked loads of questions in the early days as well. Like, are you trained at this? Are you trained at that? No one's really trained at anything. Like the way you start a business is you're passionate about something. You do your self-taught bit, you get some mentorship, then you do it. Then you do all that stuff over and over again until the point that you're known for doing it. And then I was going to ask, like, especially with like turning it into a business, whether you have to have, I'm sure you do like certain certifications and stuff like that, but no one tells you you have to be some sort of like specifically trained chef with this specific certificate from this school. It's yeah. just not, it's not realistic. So like, how do you tie the passion bit into like, I'm assuming, I'm assuming, and I could be wrong, that food like delivery is regulated in some capacity, or maybe it's not, I don't know. Yeah, so we first things we did, obviously, we looked into what we were going to do, decided on the meal delivery side, decided it was going to be flash frozen. So we looked at different techniques of preserving food. We didn't want chemicals. We didn't want anything artificial. And by blast freezing it, it goes in hot, gets down to minus 18 within about two hours. So it locks in textures, flavors so you, it for you, up to six months. So you cook it first, like you actually cook yeah. the meal. And but then again, even that, like from being a trained chef perspective, like... Yeah. You're putting stuff in raw, putting stuff in part cooked. Like everything has to have bite. Everything has to be like either under seasoned or over seasoned. Like you, everything was a learning curve, even in that stage. So once we had the concept, it was it wasn't like oh yeah, I've got a really good chili recipe. I'll just cook it and freeze it because then if you were to cook it, it'd be mushy and there'd be no texture. Yeah. So that was a whole other learning curve. But yeah, we essentially had um, environmental health meetings. Yeah. We had um, we brought on a food safety consultant. Um, so. He's, he's great like we looked into doing the courses to do like um HACCP training and all the kind of technical terms and stuff but it actually worked out cheaper to pay someone who's really experienced um and someone who's actually a, an awesome guy he's into downhill biking he's he gets on with us oh, really cool. well and he's like he's not a typical kind of suit who just comes in and he's like do this do this do this he's like no actually he's a genuine guy i see someone with like a tick box tick things up yeah yeah that's cool and he's like we got on straight away and we we're like yeah he's definitely the guy to, to help us so that's awesome it's so it's pretty amazing to hear this like even as someone who just enjoys cooking so because how, how do you learn for example 
like you just said, part cooking something, part part not. How do you, how do you learn that bit? So we in the early days. So we once we knew we wanted to set up something, whatever capacity it was going to be, and it was going to be our business. Yeah. I think from February in 2018 until November, when we actually launched in November, yeah. most of that time was researching the products, the packaging, the equipment, like how we could do everything. Um, so we would be late at night, like laid in bed, being like, oh, look at this machine. What does this do? Going on YouTube, watching like vegetable choppers and these blast freezers. And like, it was the most, if you looked at our search history over the last couple of years, it's the most random stuff. Again, we went to something called Foodex, which is like a massive food expo in like one of the NEC arenas or something. Yeah. Um, and again, you walk around going like, this packing machine is mental. Like, how does this work? The ceiling machines, like, how does it stay fresh in there? So we, we just spent hours and hours and hours researching something that could be recyclable or compostable or like however we could find things because yeah. we were trying to be completely plastic free as a system. Um, yeah. But at the moment, the lidding films on kind of meals, the biodegradable ones, they still have microplastics. They're only commercially biodegradable. It's just not applicable for the end user. So right. Having a fully recyclable and recycled plastic was the best alternative because you can just put that in your recycle bin. That makes sense. So yeah. yeah, it was a lot of trial and error on that. And then the actual cooking side, again, I was trying to find stuff on it and it just didn't exist. So we ended up just kind of taking the leap. We got our kitchen set up sorted. We um, got a lot of equipment ready. We, we knew the blast freezer was the most important thing. And I just had kind of a two week intensive period of being like, right, what if I freeze it like this? How does this work? Like, I just remember like having my first batch of food cooked on the side going like, how do I even turn this thing on? Like, how does it work? <laughs> so it was That's like, funny. it's a really fun journey. And I think the, the key thing is if anyone out there listening is looking to start their own business, like keep people informed of what you're doing. Like the whole time I was on Instagram stories, like, hey guys, look, I'm trying this machine for the first time. And yeah, like, I remember people that. along with the journey and it really kind of helped. We've still got our core following and customers who were with us from day one because they love the journey that's so critical that's so critical that is and so few people do it and, and it is hard to do you were very good actually i remember you've reminded me of how much you would do stories and how it's how interesting these things are because whether you're starting a business whether you're not whether you want to it, it when you buy into like your first group of customers which is normally friends and family then it goes a bit wider then a bit wider like the authenticity of the story and the fun behind it is the critical thing. I remember where I think I was watching videos of you guys doing it late at night with like music and stuff, or maybe it was morning, like loud music. That it just looked like you were having a lot of fun. And actually, if you can project that, which I think you guys do actually really well, why wouldn't someone want to be like tempted at the end of the day to buy, you know? Yeah, no, that was it. That story stuck with us so that our actual launch, we thought we were going to do the meal subscription. That was all the competitors we were looking at, the whole business plan model, everything was meal subscription. And because we, again, were self-building the website, we were just learning as we went along. Um, we couldn't work out how to integrate any of the apps for the subscription. It just looked too clunky and ugly. And let's just not, let's just uh, set a minimum like delivery limit and see what happens. And sent out this newsletter 9.30 at night. And by midnight, we'd had like a massive influx of orders, like cool. wiped out pretty much all the stock I've been cooking. So I was like, oh, something's worked. Right. That's yeah cool. that's wicked that's cool i'll ask one more food question then i'll ask you some more businessy ones and like what what the plans are but like you said you used to count calories and so many people associate you know a certain amount of calories to like a diet or weight loss or whatever it may be and as someone who's been into food and fitness for a long period of time like 
what are you what's your school of thought if you like on kind of controlling the amount you eat how you diet how you maintain or lose weight and attaching it to calories do you do you now forget calories like how do you think about that sort of stuff i think like back in the day when i was sort of body power muscle food all this stuff like calories were everything like i would weigh cucumber going into a salad and stuff like this like i was so to the gram during the week wow. and the weekend i just wouldn't um i think now my obviously my opinions completely changed on that like i eat much more intuitively i'll go actually i really fancy watermelon or i want a cookie today i'm gonna have a cookie today like it's much more kind of reasonable um but it's because i enjoy eating the healthy stuff as well as the unhealthy stuff um yeah. But I think if you're counting calories, you need a reason for it, whether you are looking to bulk up or lose weight, knowing what your calories in versus calories out are is obviously super important. If you're not, then day to day, I think some people get too much into it. Like, yes, it's great if you're kind of maintaining and saying like, this is, I'm really happy with my shape size and I'm fueling well. Maybe I just want to keep eating this way. And some people like that routine. Like it's that like knowing you're hitting enough calories like there must be days where i don't eat enough which is now one of my problems rather than eating too much just being busy you just forget to eat sometimes you just i'm sure you can relate where you just go what have i actually had today sometimes Um, i could probably do doing that a bit more often to be honest i I tend to make meal time (laughs) (laughs) but yeah so like now i think it's listen to your body a bit more like again if you focus around whole foods, whether that's grains, lentils, fruits, vegetables, even meat, if you still eat meat, like yeah. just focus around that and then have your fun foods around it. I think that's the best approach, like putting too much onus on good foods, bad foods, like healthy foods, unhealthy foods, like you, you condition yourself into this bad mentality. And it's taken a really long time to kind of get myself out of that. And I see so many people who are kind of getting into the gym, getting into fitness, being like, right, chicken, rice, broccoli, like, every meal and I can't have a cheat meal and all this stuff. I'm like, you need to enjoy it. Like, or you will be presenting it or getting these habits. Yeah. Life's too short. You can over obsess over things in a bad way. Uh, I mean, one thing I took over that, that you you actually weighed cucumber, did you say as well? Like (laughs) that is one leaning one way too much. Obviously you can go the other way where you're just totally unhealthy and it's horrendous. So life is about balance and you tend to learn that throughout your life anyway. Like there's always extremes and fads and all the rest of it. Um, that's interesting. No, it is interesting. How did you, so what made you, like I said, we talked about what made you turn it into a business? Like what made you turn it into like your own brand, your own name, use that rather than like a company name? What's your like vision for the future? Um, yeah. What's like the big, big picture plan? So the, the name side of things, I don't know, people always associated offbeat with me. So I kind of already had like a good local following. Um, I was very kind of active with the blog and everything. And Mitch Kitch kind of had that nice kind of almost alliteration where it kind of works together. So it just became a very simple, like I was just calling it Mitch's Kitchen as an easy thing. And then it just kind of stuck. Um, yeah. We then obviously had someone um, who's a great designer made by James came in, designed our logo, kind of put even more emphasis around what exactly we wanted. Um, so it kind of, yeah, it's stuck, even though it is me and Shirin. Yeah. And we were like, well, MS is already taken and S&M isn't quite what we're going for. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a tricky one. <laughs> but yeah, it just, it stuck as Mitch's kitchen. Um, but yeah, the, I guess the, the real reason was, as I said, we saw the gap in the market, vegan, gluten-free, actually good portion sizes, which is another thing we're really sort of passionate about is it's a full on meal, which is not bogged down with excess oils or sugars or salts or anything like that. It's going to be between 
I think the lowest is around 300 calories. The highest is around 600 calories. So they're all in that kind of ballpark for a full-on meal of high-volume, delicious plant-based food. Mm. So that was something we wanted to really get across. Um, and then also the, the charitable side, we knew we could have a bigger impact. So we donate a meal for every meal we sell um, through Mary's Meals and Work for Good. Did not so, know that. I didn't know that. Yeah, that's again something that's that cool. we try and kind of make sure is in the forefront. But again, as a brand, you never know if you're like saying that enough. You don't know. You never so, know. You never. Um, know. Yeah. So that that was kind of how it it started in the early days. It's obviously now grown. We we're starting to get a bit more well known within sort of the industry, um, and it is starting to grow. Um, Shireen is definitely the brains of the operation for that side. I know when we met you in the early days, came up yeah. and saw the whole Content Cal HQ, amazing, yeah. Um, yeah. and yeah, took away some great advice from that. But yeah, we're now at the stage where before this um, coronavirus stuff happened, yeah. we were literally about to launch a Crowdcube campaign um, in March. And uh, we're just kind of like, oh, uh, we'll wait on that. Slow so, timing, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. But the good good thing is we've had our two best months of sales. It's proved the concept to people. So we've gained new customers. We've added yeah. boxes, which was a pivot that we just kind of went, well, people can't get to the shops. We can add that. It's also then a lower barrier to entry. So if you look at our website and you have to order forty pound of meals, you might go, Well, I don't want to order six or seven meals. Yeah. Maybe I'll order half veg and half meals. And then it kind of off the back of that, we've had some people that started veg and like a couple of meals, then veg more meals, then just meals. So cool. like it's, it's worked really well in that respect. But the investment side is essentially scale up, grow, get a team together, kind of do more product development and just really try and become a bit more of a force and get more recognition. Yeah. I mean, it takes time. So I think you've done it, although there's bad timing with something like a fundraise, whether it's whatever system, but like, if your sales have increased during potentially you know, the largest and worst economic thing on the face of the earth, then you're in a really good place. What I found with this whole economic situation is that any industry that's like in a growth mode or was in a growth mode is either is just growing faster. It's just it's just expediating that growth. If you were ever in a declining industry that was going to decline slowly over like ten years, it's happened in the period of like three or four months, and then it's going to happen this year either way. So all it's done is like speed up the balances and checks, if you like, the checks and balances of like what was going to happen anyway. It hasn't, hasn't actually, obviously there's lots of terrible health things, but like in the markets, in the world, it hasn't actually changed anything that wasn't already on course to mm. do what it was going to do. It's just sped things up. Um, I think as well, like if you can not do a fundraise for a bit and have a few amazing months, and then when that balances back out, like the world goes slightly back to normal, Things always happen for a reason. You'll probably do better out of it. You'll have more sales, more numbers. You'll, you know, you'll have more stuff in the bank, so it's to kind of work with. So, I wouldn't worry about it. Like I think, I think, I personally think everything happens for a reason, and it will just be one of those things that you'll look back on and think it was bad timing, but you know, it could have been worse. That's for sure as yeah. well. So, that's cool. That's interesting. How um how is it working as a couple? You know, how is it working? seeing each other every day, living with each other every day. How do you guys balance that out? Because that's an interesting like, side of the business and life. I think we yeah, we like, absolutely love each other's company, which I think can't necessarily be said for everyone. Um, we, it's good if you're working and living together and everything else. <laughs> and, uh, I think we've, we've been together since, well, 13 years. Um, and then we got married just under three years ago. So we've known each other a really long time. We get on amazingly so actually working together we both 
know our strengths and weaknesses. We know where one is far better than the other at something. And we just seem to fill each other's kind of gaps of knowledge and ex expertise. So it's great to work together. Um, like I definitely couldn't do it without her. Yeah. Like at all. Like it's, it's always something that whenever it's like Mitch's kitchen, it's Mitch, it's Mitch. I'm like, no, no, we're a team. Like I literally would not be even doing this if it wasn't for Shrin. So yeah. really important to kind of stress that because yeah, it's like you do struggle to try and find to, time to switch off. Like it is, but then I think when you're living in the business and especially over these last few weeks and months, I absolutely loved it getting up earlier and going to bed later because it's because of the business and that's exactly what I want to be doing. So although I'm like knackered, I'm absolutely loving it. So it's like, yeah, we've kind of got that balance a bit more now where it's steady out a little bit and we give ourselves as much of the weekend off as we can, but we like to talk about the business. So it's not like a, no, we can't have any business talk on the weekend. We're just very kind of natural with it. Yeah. That's, that's one of the uh, things you only ever understand when you start your own business. I have to say, having met lots of business owners over the years now, like there's some weird, like, but fun, challenging, I don't know, like ambitious, just whole thing that amalgamates together and then it attaches itself to you when you're running your own company whether it's good or bad days or whether like you say, you're having to get up two hours earlier, like nothing becomes quite as hard as it was when you were working for someone or working for a business. There's no like right or wrong way to do anything in life, like career wise and stuff, but there's this weird in tune moments that happen and they don't go away. So like, like you say, having these conversations, they don't become that cumbersome and like you just find a way to talk about it and then, how do you how do you guys switch off? Because I think that's one thing that took me a long time to learn. And to be honest, I'm still terrible at it. Like trying to actually switch off at the end of a day or like you say, do a weekend, whatever it may be. How do you guys, whatever it is, how do you how do you get through that that barrier? I think for us we've we've kind of got better over time. Like definitely in the early days, you are thinking about it all the time, talking about it all the time. And in the really early days, it was just me sort of in the kitchen day in, day out. Shrim was doing her other work. I'd come home knackered from cooking all day and learning what I was doing and shipping orders or whatever. And Shirin would be kind of not really enjoying her work that much being like, I want to be doing this all the time, yeah. um, full of energy. Whereas I was like dipping. So that kind of took a long time to kind of get that to work out. Okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah. In terms of switching off, we very much just try and put laptops, phones away, just try and go, right. We've done all we need to do with it now. Let's actually have some time. So let's go out for a walk. Like when we could go to the gym, we would. Like I, we'd have specific days where I would go rock climbing and Shrim would see her friends to do yoga or something like that. Like we would allow ourselves that own kind of personal time where it kind of, when you see each other again, you're like, oh, I missed you. Like it's yeah. nice to kind of have that as well. But obviously even just things like Netflix or just any kind of streaming service, just switching off and just going, right, I just need something sort of like, completely take away from it so films or walks or whatever it's just yeah get away from social media get away from technology and just do anything else yeah yeah what's your perspective on that sort of stuff then like what's your perspective on the uh the i don't know the mental like capacity that things like social media suck into you if you know what i mean so obviously i actually remember now your blog back in the day and you were actually pretty early on social and pretty active as an individual like i can't remember exactly all the details but you must have been very much into building whether you were doing it proactively or by accident whatever building a mini personal brand for quite some time and you've probably been using social networks where well, you have very well like over the last 10ish mm -hmm. years maybe give or take 
what's your perspective on like how you how you've kind of has your mentality changed around these sorts of things like mine has massively having worked in social media marketing for 10 years what's your like experience if you like with social you know as it's as it's gone on from you to a business to like then not needing to be away from it just to switch off because it is it is crazy out there yeah i think in the definitely in the early days when instagram was just becoming like a big thing uh, you do get very caught up in the likes the follows the comments like it's you're constantly refreshing your phone like searching for that and that's sweet, sweet endorphin rush <laughs> it's taken a very long time to actually move away from that like i used to have a personal account as well as the business account and it was just becoming too much like i was definitely obsessed with my phone and with checking it and posting and just commenting liking anything and everything like it became yeah. all my time and like we did have to sit down and have conversations just be like we're both on our phones too much like we need to stop that yeah um, I'm sure everyone's finding during this period in particular, screen time is up 500%. Like whatever it is, you just go, ah, oh, just scroll again. I just scroll again. Like it's it too is. easy. <laughs> yeah. It's always like, there. I'm here. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like you definitely, my like perspective towards it has changed. And even just writing in the early days from being like, I, Mitch, this, that, like it's now much more, we're a brand and the yeah. brand message needs to come through in our communications. Like I still, like find myself commenting to my friends who have commented on something and it's like, Oh no, I'm commenting as me, not as the brand. And it's something Shirin is great on that. Like she's very brand focused, thinking long-term thinking of like how things down the line will look back and say like, does it make sense for you to comment on your friend's parkour video as Mitch's kitchen? Not really. (laughs) So like these little things I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm still, still learning with that. Like I'm not perfect on it, but yeah, definitely it's, it's massively changed from the days of, the early stage where I was like, I want to have more followers. I want to be massive. I want to do this so I can have this brand and work with this company and do this. Like now I actually have our business and like we work together. It's not as important. Like it's great to have more followers and like obviously have more reach, but I'd rather have more impact and more loyal customers than hundreds of thousands of followers. Yeah. I mean, one of the things which is so on the money with that is basically like, well, number one, authenticity, building in like a depthness with the audience. If you created like, your early adopters, your first group of followers, your first group of fans, whether you're doing it for business or for personal, like you start small and that's exactly where you need to be for a period of time. When you're ready to go into the next level of scaling, like what people tend to forget is to like grow something from like nothing to a little bit of something to a little bit of something. You can get there organically for a period, both on social, but just like in business as well. But then when you want to really create like a step change in growth, it just requires more than double the amount of work, more than double the amount of this, more than double the amount of that money, blah, 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 to really blow something up. Like none of that, nothing famous, if you like, or nothing that's become big has ever really organically just exploded. Um, I've seen so many brands try and do it, individuals, et cetera. And the ones that succeed are, or the ones that become famous, known, whatever, you know, whatever they're trying to achieve are the ones that do it consistently for a really long period of time. <laughs> yeah, There's no like, shortcut. Definitely. The the ones that really stand out for me and um, like Quest with Tom Bilyeu, like I love Impact Theory and what he does um, and hearing his story over and over, you hear like they were really early into the whole influencer marketing. They were one of the first ones who had people on salaries, would, would pay for people to come to expos, really represent the brand because they yeah. were like, well, people buy from people and if they like these people, then it makes sense. Yeah. And then obviously 
Gymshark did the same in the UK. And now, now look at them. They're like an absolute monster. They've done well. Yeah, they've done well. They're a fascinating business. Like, I don't know anything anywhere near enough about them, but they are big now. They are yeah. like, really big. Um, all off word of mouth, like mostly off nearly well paid for engineered word of mouth, whatever it is. Like what's your, do you have any views on going into any other product lines? Like, is it going to stay staple with food? Are you going to go into snacks? Like you said, you've done veg boxes. Like, I mean, most businesses would say try and focus for a period, but it's interesting to say you had some, well, you went into veg boxes, which has actually become like a gateway to then wanting to buy the food. Do you have like a plan for the products or is it more let's react and see what happens as we grow yeah i did like for me I'd, I'd like to add more meals um like people were always like oh when is this gonna be more menu items coming it's like you don't understand like the behind the scenes of what's going on in running a business day to day plus trying to do product development then get labels printed doing the nutritionals like all this stuff like yeah i would love to have more but then that's another meal for me to cook like it is just me doing all the cooking still so i'm still pumping out like thousands of meals all the time and it's like Jeez. great but it is just me so yeah. Um, I'm excited to get to the stage where when I can take someone else on to help with the cooking, the packing, whatever it is, it gives me that time to go, right, let's get two more meals out this month. Let's do this and grow. Um, but in terms of other products, like, yes, we like, we trademarked the fast paced plant-based strap line. Um, like that we already had as a sort of copyrighted for merch and things, which is kind of a no brainer for us to yeah, kind like of do online, but find the ethical printers and, and all this side. But Again, it's we haven't got the time to push that. Like, do we have enough of a loyal customer base who would either want to buy them? Mm. Um, but again, that's somewhere that it makes sense to have because we we want to be a lifestyle brand. Yeah, um, and then also things like our sources or our kind of ambient stuff that we could then potentially get into more of the actual retailers, maybe like Selfridges or Whole Foods or these places where a frozen meal is quite a hard thing to get um, almost all that stuff sorted with. Whereas if you yeah. had a sauce or something that is the best pasta sauce, which is vegan, gluten-free, nut-free, refined, sugar-free, blah, blah, blah. Like, like our pasta sauce, for example, people absolutely love it. So there is these ideas sort of in the background that would be amazing to develop, but it, that could just be a if and when and, oh, there's the opportunity. Yeah, yeah. It's great because you've got, you've, you know where you want to go and you know how few people I speak to in like work life that don't really have a clue when you ask them these sorts of questions even if they're really passionate, they actually find it quite tough to see into the future. Whereas you seem to know exactly where you want to go. You've made me think of a potential introduction for you, which I'll tell you when we get off the back of this, actually off the back of that. Um, I think, I think you're like, you're close to an inflection point. If you're familiar with that phrase, like you're very, it sounds to me like you're very, very close to a point, which sometimes it's still six months out, but like where things will really need to change in the business to get it to the next stage. And that's probably why we went for the investment crowd um, but you're definitely there, which is cool. It's really hard to do. Like I take my hat off to you, anyone who runs their own business. <clears throat> it's really, really tough to go on this journey. Like I'll round it out in the next sort of five, 10 minutes, but like, have you found, have you found like the ups and downs have happened? Have you had like all the good bits and some challenging bits with just, you know, diversifying into running your own business? Yeah, definitely. Like you always like you're living for the sales and all this, and then suddenly your packaging supplier can't deliver in time or, a stock goes bad, a freezer breaks, you have a power cut, like whatever it is, there's all these kind of experiences you'll have. Like we have frozen stock. So if we lose power, we're suddenly screwed yeah. for hundreds of pounds worth of stock, which I've yeah. um, So there's all these things along with just the general day-to-day cash flow. Obviously early stages, you're kind of 
Um, we started with the startup loans. We had sort of friends and families who kind of helped us in the really early stages. Um, yeah. But then we did actually, Shireen came on full time. We realized we were earning good money, but just spending it at home. And there was no way the business was going to grow. So we had to actually say, it doesn't make sense right at this stage. Like Shireen will go work somewhere else again. We can still do stuff together and we can still grow the business this way. But it shows two potential investors. Like actually we've, we've seen what's been happening. Yeah. Uh, we also, when we launched, we were doing 100% organic. So everything was tenfold expensive because we went, actually, it makes sense. Like we can do this. Um, and then when we looked into the organic certification and all this stuff and actually asked our customers, people didn't really care if it was organic or not. It was yeah. is it local, is it freshly cooked? Is it blah, blah, blah. Like there was so many other things that we ticked the boxes of. It could be something we visit again. But at this stage, we suddenly went, well, a kilo of sweet potatoes organic is going to be 26 pound, but a kilo non-organic is going to be seven pounds. You suddenly go, mm. Oh, so wow. you yeah. look at our first, first few months expenses and you're like, yeah, we spent a lot of money on stuff that we probably could have got. But again, it's all, all learning. And until we asked our customers, we didn't know this. So that's the other thing is we will happily speak to our customers, ask things, do surveys, get polls. And that's where we wanted the, the crowdfund side to actually get people on board who believed in it and said, actually, yeah, I, I want to put some money in because it'll get me this and I believe in this and yeah, I want to be in for the long run. Yeah. No, that all makes sense. That's you, you're, you're like, that's just the journey at the end of the day. So I get all that and, and doing those experiments and getting things wrong. You'll, you'll know it for next time. That's just part of part of the journey. I'm amazed at the difference in pricing between organic and it's, yeah. organic that, that. like, it's not that bad. And then when we redid the calculations and worked out certain things, we we're like, wow, certain things are that's ridiculous. crazy. Yeah. I mean, you all end, you could end up having a range for both at the end of the day. And yeah, we still use organic cheap. beans and spices and stuff because that suppliers like our, um, some of us are like spices when they first came in, the smell was just beyond belief. So we we're yeah. like, amazing. Like we absolutely love the quality of them. They're a nice company and like price wise, they're not too dissimilar, yeah. but there were certain things we went, well, an organic butter bean versus a non-organic, like, again, it could be like tens of thousands of pounds difference, like over time. That's crazy. Yeah, that is crazy. Um, well, look, dude, we'll round it out there. It was really good to have you on and just have a chat. I know we went straight into it, but um, I think what you're doing is brilliant. Like I always have, like trying to follow it and keep up. And I think you've got a great, like, uh, you've got the thirst for it, which you can, you can tell from here, even just doing a video call, which is what's going to make you successful. So good luck with uh, the next few months and the next few years into it. Enjoy. And uh, I'll catch up with you soon, man. Appreciate you talking. Thank you very much. Thank you for your time. Cheers, dude.